following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. continuing our discussion on meditation, particularly after having established serenity of mind, concentration in our psyche. Today we're going to talk about the need to develop imagination, insight, otherwise known as clairvoyance. It's important that we genuinely establish the preliminaries as we were discussing in terms of what we need to really meditate. So previously we discussed the nine stages of concentration leading to calm abiding, a serene mind. However, serenity by itself is not enough. Instead, what we need is to develop spiritual perception into our inner psyche Understanding through perfect visualization within our mind, within the subconscious, unconscious, and infraconscious depth of our psyche. So as we were discussing in uh, Leo of uh, Buddhism, the Mahayana and Vajrayana teachings, today we're talking about insight, the capacity to perceive inside in relation to Sufism and Islam, the Middle Eastern occultism esotericism. And today we're going to elaborate on the need for imagination. And all of us here deeply need the capacity to genuinely understand the sources of our conflicts, our problems of a psychological nature. For as Buddha taught, mind precedes phenomena. We become what we think. However, Having a stability of awareness is not enough, but we need also the capacity to perceive in the internal worlds, which is known as firasa uh, in Arabic and Sufism, or as we denominate spiritual insight. So we're going to explain what is special insight, imagination, clairvoyance, how do we develop it. And particularly, we're going to explain 
what is known as the three stages of initiation, imagination, inspiration, and intuition. Not only is taught by our shaykh and guru, Samael and Vior, but also from uh, the Sufis. To really pinpoint and explain that this teaching has not been taught by one man alone. However, as Samael and Vior explained in a very explicit manner, we're now going to unveil the teachings given within Sufi scripture that support and validate his explanations. So as we mentioned, by developing serenity in combination with insight, we develop comprehension. And it is this comprehension we really need to develop on a moment-to-moment basis. Comprehension is not when we sit to meditate or to relax the body. But comprehension is a moment-to-moment awareness within our psyche, here and now. Particularly through self-observation, through remembering really our our being, the presence of our inner Lord, which in Arabic is Allah, the God. And we find that uh, the word for awareness in Arabic is muhadara, from the Arabic hudur, which means presence. So, as the Master Samael explains many times, we need to not only develop self-observation of our psyche, observing our intellectual, emotional, and motor instinctive sexual centers, but we, we need to be aware of that presence from our Lord inside. That is how we effectively develop serenity, calm abiding, but also insight. For when the mind, the lake of the mind is completely serene, and stable, having achieved calm abiding itself, the ninth degree of concentration in uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Likewise, we can perfectly reflect the imagery of the superior worlds inside. So as uh, Dual Nun Misri, the Egyptian, he, uh, one of my favorite Sufi masters, explains the following. The key to success in worship lies in meditative reflection, fikrat, Whoever persists in such reflection in the heart will behold the invisible realm of the spirit. So if we want to experience the internal planes, the astral world, the mental world, the causal plane, it begins here. We often get uh, letters from students who complain about not being able to astral travel, who do not see the internal planes when they physically sleep or have not conversed face-to-face with the being. And the solution is very simple. It's to develop meditative reflection. Or as some island of explains, serene reflection. The Chinese words are mo chao. Serenity, reflection. Serenity pertains to a mind that has developed a degree of concentration and stabilization, as we discussed. Reflection is the capacity to perceive, to visualize, to actually receive the images from the higher dimensions in meditation. So as we explained previously, if we attain the ninth degree of concentration known as calm abiding, shamatha, serenity of mind, we can perfectly reflect internal images and experience really our being face to face. So those who uh, want to be successful in worship must develop this reflection in the moment. So if we sit to meditate and we find that our mind is 
unclear. We don't perceive where our thoughts come from. What is our psyche in a given instant? If there's a lot of murkiness, we need to develop sharper insight, imagination, clairvoyance, which is a reflection of the consciousness inside. Whoever contemplates God through keeping watch over the thoughts which pass through his heart will be exalted by God and all of his ultimate deeds. If we want our actions and our meditative practice to really bear fruit, we have to remember, really remember that kudur, the presence, to have that intimacy and awe of divinity moment by moment. So the Sufis often talk about chayba, the awe of the presence of divinity. And we have to really be aware of that force every moment. Because as the Sufis, and uh, I believe it's taught in the Al-Quran, Although you do not see your Lord, your Lord sees you. He knows all of our thoughts, our emotions, and our instinctual impulses, our will. And so, every action we take has to be in remembrance of that force, of that presence. So when we feel tempted to do actions we know are wrong, we retract and we develop our discipline in our mind. That is how we develop Meditative reflection, or as Samael on the Yor states, is serene reflection, Mo Chao, in his book uh, Magic of the Runes. So I'm going to explain a quote that he gives that coincides with this Sufi doctrine that we're going to elaborate upon. The Chinese word Mo signifies silence or serenity, and the word Chao signifies to reflect or to observe. Consequently, Mo Chao can be translated as serene reflection or serene observation. However, it is clear to comprehend that in pure Gnosticism, the terms serenity and reflection have much more profound meanings and therefore should be comprehended with special connotations. The sense of serenity transcends that which is normally understood as calmness or tranquility. It implies a superlative state which is beyond reasoning, desires, contradictions, and words. It signifies a situation that is beyond mundane noise. So he's really talking about the, the ninth degree of concentration in which we have perfect equipoise. So to review, we have the first degree, which is mental placement. We sit to practice and we realize that we forget the object of our concentration. We don't have any memory. We sit for 20 minutes and then we realize that we have not focused on the object. That's the first, first degree. The second degree is uh, continual placement. By continuously placing the, uh, our focus on the object of, of our concentration, we have some moments of focus and remembrance of the purpose of our practice. But there's many periods of forgetfulness. The third degree, patch-like placement, we remember the object of concentration more than we forget it. So it's patch-like because like placing patches on a cloth, it's sporadic. It's not perfectly continuous. The fourth degree continuous placement, uh, excuse me, uh, close placement or good fixation is we never forget that we are concentrating. This is uh, necessary to really effectively meditate on ego, to never forget what we are doing. The fifth degree is subduing the mind. We're dealing with more subtle forms of uh, excitement or agitation in the psyche or forms of lethargy in the mind. The sixth degree in which we go deeper, we're pacifying the mind itself. There is uh, 
more subtle forms of the distraction which we need to observe as they arise. The seventh degree is uh, fully pacifying, which is very uh, important to establish because at this point we see distractions before they even arise in the psyche, thoughts before they even emerge. And this is a very profound state, which is deepened by vigilance, introspection, murakaba in Arabic. The eighth degree, one point of concentration, is there are no distractions. The mind is serene. However, it takes effort to maintain that state, so it's not perfect. And yet, and then the ninth degree is calm abiding itself. There is no effort needed to maintain a perfect perfectly serene mind. The mind is the lake of the mind has reached complete stillness. And we find that there is no disturbance and it takes no effort to maintain that state. In fact, uh, to exert any effort in that in that type of consciousness is to lose the experience. Instead, we want to simply be, to be to become familiar with that state. So when Samayalam Vyor says this is a state beyond mundane noise, he's really talking about the 8th and ninth degrees of concentration where there's no thought and in which we have perfect silence. He continues in discussing insight. The sense of reflection in itself is beyond what is always understood as contemplation of a problem or idea. Here this word does not imply mental activity or contemplative thought, but rather a type of objective consciousness clear and reflective, always illuminated within its own experience. Therefore, serenity signifies the serenity of no thought, calm abiding, shamatha, and reflection signifies intense and clear consciousness. Serene reflection is the clear consciousness within the tranquility of no thought. When perfect serenity reigns, the true profound illumination is achieved. So, uh, this is uh, highly emphasized again by the Sufi, te- uh, Sufi masters, specifically Al-Kushari in his uh, Al-Risala, which is Principles of Sufism, where he describes the, the necessity to establish the capacity to not think. It is said silence for the common people is with their tongues, meaning vulgar people who don't practice esoteric discipline. Silence for the Gnostics is with their hearts. And silence for lovers is with restraining the stray thoughts that come to their innermost beings. So as we're going to explain uh, this faculty or capacity to strive against one's thoughts, to overcome them in the moment, to see where they originate from, and to transcend that state, is known as striving in Arabic, or mujahida, which is where we get the word jihad, which people translate mistakenly as holy war. In Arabic, there's many words for holy war. And jihad does not mean that originally. It means striving. So we need to strive against our thoughts precisely through, uh, in order to develop that silence, that serenity. And then once we have perfect serenity, then the illumination comes when the being can express in us and teach us within the internal worlds and in meditation. You want to be. You want to uh, be familiar with that presence of the, your being, but also be open. A simple practice is when you reach serenity, you open your mind and wait for the illumination. And when we least expect it, 
that insight comes. And we're going to explain more about that. So we find that uh, we included an image of a Sufi in prayer. He's got japa beads, which japa is a mantra recitation. So to help us develop serenity, we uh, are practitioners of Islam, the Sufis, as well as the uh, Buddhists and Hindus would use prayer beads. For every bead, they would pronounce a mantra in the mind to develop that serenity, conning bead to bead, reciting a, ma- a mantra repeatedly all throughout the day so that the mind stabilizes. So it is by really in prayer in this moment we are connecting with our inner God because if we don't, if we're not aware of him and that flavor psychologically in our states, we uh, are asleep. So we're going to elaborate on insight Perception, imagination, or clairvoyance. So in order to really explain insight as taught within Sufism, we need to, it's necessary to explain some Sufi terms which are technical and relate to the path of meditation itself. We have known what is known as states, akhval in Arabic, and stations, makamat. A state is something the Sufis explain is given to us by God. It is an insight or inspiration or a state of being which is given to us by divinity in the moment. Stations are different. Stations are, th- are qualities or virtues in our consciousness that we develop by our work through striving, through jihad, mujahidah. And uh, it's important to remember this distinction. Uh, makamat or stations are sometimes translated as initiations. So initiation is gained by striving, by work. But insight, experiences of the being, samadhi, out-of-body experiences, comprehension, or akhval, those are states given to us by the being, by Allah. May he be praised and exalted, our innermost. We find that uh, to explain this topic even further, how insight pertains to states, akhval, given to us by divinity, we find uh, two types of men mentioned in, or, or women, uh, human beings mentioned in uh, a Sufi scripture called Kashif al-Makhshub, which is Revelation of the Mystery. It's a Persian text. And what's important to understand is that uh, Samayil and Vior explained the best of Sufism comes from Persia. So this is a seminal Persian text, which explains that there are these two men. There's the man of striving, al-Insan al-Mujahidah, the man of jihad, and then there's the man of contemplation, insan al-mushahida. So the word mushahida, contemplation, means witnessing, to perceive, to experience. This is where we get the Muslim declaration of faith, the shahida, which many ex- uh, in the public tradition, uh, exoteric Muslims pronounce, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadun rasulallah. There is no God but God, and Allah and uh, Muhammad is his prophet. So what does uh, really mean to bear witness? So it doesn't mean to pronounce, literally millions of Muslims believe that by pronouncing this prayer, one is entered into the faith. But that's not the meaning. The real meaning is that to bear witness of divinity is to experience divinity in meditation through contemplation, to have insight, 
to have clairvoyance, very awakened, to the point where, as the soul, the spark of the consciousness is absorbed within Allah, the being, who is glorified by our cooperation through him. And so, these two types of men, the man of striving, is precisely something that we are trying to develop in this moment. So to strive, really, we need effort in order to develop concentration, as we were explaining before. To develop concentration is uh, the path of striving. But when you get to the highest peaks of concentration, the ninth degree of calm abiding, or the ninth degree establishing calm abiding, you don't need effort. That's when effort ends. We state that that natural state of mind in which the lake of consciousness is serene is the state of Tivareth and Kabbalah, the human soul. Purest effort is no effort. At that point, we don't need striving. You, don't, you no longer need jihad at that point to control the mind. The mind is already serene. And now you need to enter into contemplation, imagination, uh, mushakida. Also, in uh, these two types of men also relate to Kabbalah. We find that uh, the man of striving is precisely the bodhisattva, the human soul, who is really working in the path of spiritual warfare against animal desire, the nafs. Nafas in Arabic, the, the negative selves. So Tifereth, dressed with the lower bodies. Netzach, the mind. Chod, the emotional body. Yesod, the vital body. Malkut, the physicality. And the solar garment of the initiates, of the masters, the causal body, having worked in alchemy. Alchemy itself is a path of striving, but also contemplation, mushahida, witnessing to experience the divine. Now, what's important to remember is that uh, what's interesting in Sufism, particularly in the text I mentioned, the Sufis often would wear wool garments. And the word Sufi is even believed to come from the word Suf, meaning wool, pure garments. And we know that wool comes from the lamb. And the lamb is the symbol of Christ, divinity. So what are these wool garments we need to wear? through jihad, through striving and meditation, is the solar bodies, which we had to create in the matrimony. And so the man of striving is dressed with these garments by working in the perfect matrimony. But the man of contemplation is the being, we can say in a manner of speaking, the man of witnessing, because the one who really witnesses is divinity, as we'll explain more about. So divinity is composed in Kabbalah, is Keter, Chokmah, Binah, translated as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Christian terms, which is not three separate persons, as the Christians mistakenly believe, but three forces in one. So this is perfectly in line with the Muslim doctrine of Tawheed, the unity of Allah. So Allah is that light of uh, the Christ, which is three forces in one, but also the Spirit, the innermost is part of divinity, the being, Chesed in Kabbalah, dressed with his divine soul, Geburah, that's the being, those five sephiroth above. That's the man of witnessing, the one who really experiences. Because the being needs to know himself, as we teach, through his soul. And so, um, there's a famous mantra in Sufism, is Allahu, Allahu Allah, Allahu Allah. They recite many times. Allah, we say, is 
the three primary forces, Ketera, Chokmah, Binah, and Hu is the spirit. Because in, in Sanskrit, we have Hum, meaning uh, the innermost. So we're talking about in Allahu, we refer to the Trinity and the spirit, which is not separate forces, but one, in, one integral entity. So aligning with Tawheed and uh, not entering into blasphemy, as many Muslims would argue, calling it shirk to talk about that the unity of God can be broken up. But we're not speaking about a multiplicity, but one light. So in this image, we see Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, as a, a pro, great master who is illuminated by fire, surrounded by his disciples and the angel Jibreel, or Gabriel, holding a, and this angel is holding in his hands the celestial Jerusalem, or Darussalam in Arabic, the city of peace. So Prophet Muhammad perfectly demonstrated the path of striving in himself. And as a, as a, as a great master, who uh, here is, a, is a demonstrating with his actions, his perfect clairvoyance, his perfect perception, his perfect witnessing of divinity. Notice his disciples, who are not surrounded by halos of flame, only look at Prophet Muhammad, but only Muhammad can see Jibreel above. So Muhammad is, a, is, is in the terms of Samael and Vior and, and in Sanskrit, is a Turiya, a being that has perfect clairvoyance, perfect vision, insight. He sees both the superior worlds and the inferior worlds, the physical plane at the same time, no confusion. Yes, because uh, Da'at is precisely how the man of striving in alchemy becomes a man of uh, contemplation, a perfected being. That's how he crosses the abyss. So uh, Muhammad, as a Turiya, perfectly enlightened one, is the only one who sees Gabriel there with the holy city. This explains how, or in Buddhist doctrine, the fact that a perfectly awakened Buddha, a master, sees both the ultimate truth of existence, the absolute nature of all things, the void or space, Allah, and the physical world, conventional truth, phenomenal existence. He sees both noumena and phenomena at the same time. Is, is, I couldn't even say that. Was there any relationship to that with Janus, the Roman God that saw both ways? Or was it... That relates, because Janus is, uh, has two heads, he sees the superior and the inferior at the same time. And so, uh, here we can, we can, in Buddhist terms, we can see that Prophet Muhammad, as a man of striving, is a manifestation Buddha, as Samael and Vyar explains in his books. The Bodhisattva, the terrestrial person. And then the, the being, represented by the Holy City, and even Jibreel, the Holy Ghost. And as, as, he, as is mentioned in the Quran, is the superior, the man of contemplation. Now, uh, What's important to note is that uh, he is giving his insight to his disciples. He sees really the, the being in all things. The heavenly city, uh, the Rusalam, is, or the heavenly Jerusalem mentioned in Revelations, is the superior worlds. In our level, it can refer to the psychological country that we have to navigate. But in the superior worlds, we have the perfectly developed master represented by this city. So the nature of insight 
is the capacity or is the substance of this truth. Uh, Abu Sa'id al-Qaraz said, One who sees with the light of spiritual insight sees with the light of the truth. The very substance of his knowledge comes from God, unmixed with either negligence or forgetfulness. This is a very elevated state of clairvoyance, which we're going to explain as superconsciousness. If we look in our mind, we typically see, we, if we perceive inter- excuse me, internally, we often find that we, have per- we may have periods of forgetfulness or negligence in our concentration. So it's not perfected yet. So the fact that the type of clairvoyance or insight, clear vision in French, perception, is uh, unmixed with negligence or forgetfulness, is a clairvoyance of masters, perfectly developed. We're going to explain that. Intuition is, uh, we say, is the capacity to know something immediately. And that relates to imagination. We're going to talk about that in, de- in detail. Indeed, it is a judgment of truth flowing from the tongue of a servant. So, this is a type of perception into the nature of mind. Not only in himself, but Muhammad sees the minds of his disciples. And is able to speak the truth. So, our clairvoyance is developed precisely by how we control our tongue. What we speak, what we say, what we produce in life. If we speak truthful and we are honest, that establishes a, or satyam in, in uh, Sanskrit, is uh, the ethical discipline that trains the mind. So that when the mind is serene, when we don't pronounce lies or evil things, we have more serenity in our consciousness. So that, image, that imagery is, the insight comes more directly. So, that is indeed the judgment of truth flowing from the tongue of a servant. Abu Sa'id's expression, looking with the light of the truth, means seeing by a light with which the truth has favored him. This is Akhval, states. We strive to concentrate, and then when we reach the peak, no efforts needed. And then the insight comes to us as a grace. So Samayal and Bayor explain that, that insight, intuition, understanding comes immediately when we are not seeking it, but we're just open. We're no longer striving. We've reached the threshold of entering into the states of being of a man of uh, contemplation, of witnessing. Mushahida. Al-Wasati said, Spiritual insight means the rays of light that gleam in the hearts and the solid establishment of a spiritual knowledge that conveys secrets of the invisible realm, or the tree of life, from one hidden place to another. Thus, the possessor of insight witnesses things in the way that the truth brings him to witness them. Meaning that state is given to us directly without uh, our effort. We, the insight comes from the being. All we need to do is receive it. And he speaks what is in people's minds. Now, uh, one thing I want to mention is that uh, states are given to us by divinity, but not, but not only our own divinity, but also other divinities. This is known in Sufism as baraka, Blessings. We call this in Gnosticism borrowed light. So by invoking a master who is really developed or self-realized, that individual monad or being can give us experiences that are beyond our normal capacity of consciousness, things that we can't experience on our own. So sometimes the masters, especially in the beginning of our studies, they give us light, experiences in the internal planes that we could not have developed on our own, but they're given to us as a grace so that we see, we witness, as a witness, shahid, the truth of uh, divinity. Comes to my mind, uh, 
an experience that I had in, uh, many years ago in the astral plane where I invoked uh, Master Samael. And he explains in his book, Igneous Rose, the following. Every master expresses himself through his disciples. So personally, uh, my affinity with uh, Master Samael is uh, really, uh, I, I really love my, my guru. And I invoke him whenever I meet him. I remember in the astral plane, I was becoming conscious and realized I was being attacked. Someone was trying to knock me asleep, was hitting me and punching me and was pushing my consciousness. It was a type of psychological pressure that was pushing me into oblivion. So I invoked Samael and Vior in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, for the majesty of Christ. And instead of appearing to stop the fight, there was a black magician who was attacking me. I suddenly had a perception that was expansive, where my awareness was illuminated and I was seeing myself third person. I was confronted by a uh, Asian man in a black tunic. He was a sorcerer of the left-hand path, and he was attacking me. So we physically, we were, or astrally, we were fighting, punching and kicking. And meanwhile, the presence of Samael was in my mind, in my heart, and I saw myself as if I was watching a video game. Now the thing is, what's interesting is that he didn't stop the fight. He showed me what I needed to do to defend myself. So a good teacher does not give everything, but forces you to really develop yourself. And Samael is very demanding in that way. So I was fighting third person, and I was having a lot of awareness in that state. And um, sadly, I got so identified with the experience while kicking. I kicked so hard that I physically acted that way, and I, I woke myself up. My leg flew up in the air. And I, I woke up, I lost the experience. But the thing is, uh, that was a form of baraka. That was a state I could not have done on my own. But Samael, being the god of war, wanted to train me and says, this is the, what you need to do. So he gave me that light to see what was happening and to learn how to defend myself. We also talk about uh, borrowed states or borrowed light, akhbal, in relation to Vajrayana Buddhism. In Vajrayana teachings, teachings of the diamond vehicle or indestructible vehicle of Tantra, we find that uh, certain practitioners of uh, sexual alchemy envision themselves as a deity or meditate on a de uh, devotion, uh, through devotion on a, on a Buddha. And uh, the most powerful form of prayer we know is uh, matrimony, when sexually united, because uh, man is El in Hebrew, God. Woman is goddess, Eloah. Man and woman united in alchemy is Elohim. A unity, Tawheed in Arabic, the unity of Allah. So uh, when a man and woman are practicing alchemy, really the best thing is to in invoke, especially a, a master such as Samael, who governs the sexual force in order to raise that energy inward and upward and to visualize oneself as him as that Martian force that is in sex to raise it to the mind. Because we know Samael is the angel of war, governs uh, two astrological signs, Aries in the mind, the brain, and Scorpio in sex. So he's the power of the serpent we can train in, uh, in a matrimony to, and perform real deity yoga. So the thing is, uh, 
He can really help us in that way. So the important thing is that akhfal is given to us as a grace. Stations, then, we have to develop on our own. And that's why uh, certain masters make us struggle, strive and really fail many times in order to learn from our mistakes so that really our comprehension is solid. So we have an image of a Buddha surrounded by fire. And Exactly. So you cannot, as the Sufis teach, you cannot have contemplation or witnessing without having striven in meditation to concentrate. And then when you've achieved perfect concentration, then witnessing is a resu- uh, comes naturally. So uh, precisely, he emphasize, uh, Master Samael emphasizes this point in Igneous Roads. Those who want to enter into the wisdom of the fire must overcome the process of reasoning and cultivate the ardent faculties of the mind. We must only ex- extract the golden fruit from reasoning. So we do this moment by moment. We have to really comprehend the mind instant by instant. That's how we develop our capacities fully. The golden fruit of reasoning is comprehension. Comprehension and imagination must replace reasoning. So what is this comprehension? It's a result of uh, having stable mind, serene mind. And then uh, imagination really comes to us as a result of developing our perceptive faculties, our fikrat, meditative reflection. Imagination and comprehension are the foundation of the superior faculties of the understanding. In order to enter into the knowledge of the superior world, it is necessary to acquire the superior faculties of mind. So we talked about this uh, concentration and imagination really producing us genuine knowledge of the superior worlds. We gain comprehension as a result of stabilizing our, our mind. But that comprehension is only really f- uh, fulfilled more directly when we have insight in combination with that. So stability and insight is what's necessary. And we do that by working with the fire. We see this, uh, we have the, the Sanskrit letter Aum, or the letters for Aum, for God, on this Buddha. And it's important to remember that a Buddha or an angel has complete cognizance by working with Inri, the sexual fire, or Allah is the same fire, the light of the Lord. Now, uh, we're going to talk about precisely the, quality, the different qualities of insight or imagination. What's uh, interesting for me is that uh, we have an image of the Buddha with a hand up and a hand down, signifying a perfectly awakened master, a, uh, one who has devel- fully developed Buddha cognizance inside, who sees both the superior and the inferior, the hand that sees the higher dimensions and the lower dimensions at the same time. What's also interesting is that we have a swastika on the chest of this Buddha, which is a symbol of tantrism. The Nordic rune Gibur is uh, the sexual cross of man and woman, the vertical phallus, the horizontal uterus, and the energies in motion. It also signifies the chakras that are fully illuminated, uh, especially chakra Ajna, or the third eye for clairvoyance, that is fully uh, strengthened and awakened when we work with uh, sexual magic. Now, the thing is, this is the very same image as uh, the image of Prophet Muhammad, because this Buddha represents Jibril. Gibur Ra'el, the rune Gibur of El, the Buddha. El is a spirit. You said Jibril, Gabriel. 
Yeah, Jibril is the Arabic, but uh, Gabriel we say in or in Hebrew, and then we have Gibur uh, Ra'el, the cross of Ra, the solar god, the Christ, that it inoculates the spirit. El, like we say in the prayer, uh, come uh, in the to the solar logos, come unto us and penetrate us, enlighten us, bathe us, go through us and awaken within our being. El, our Buddha, all those marvelous uh, substances which was much a part of thee as well as a part of me. So this is Gabriel as a represented in Buddhism, the angel or the Buddha of the cross. And through that power, we see both heaven and hell in, and simultaneously if we work with that perception in us. Now, uh, there are two forms of clairvoyance. And it's important to note that clairvoyance was a term given by French initiates in order to confuse people because the term uh, clairvoyance was a misappropriated to make people think that only a select people had this faculty. Meanwhile, clairvoyance as a technical term, meaning clear vision, simply is imagination, the capacity to visualize in the mind. That's clairvoyance. But people think this is some type of supernormal thing that only a handful of people have. Really, everyone has that capacity inside. So we talk about this in terms of imagination, the capacity to perceive imagery. Now the thing is, there are two kinds of imagination. There's objective and subjective. The objective is uh, liberated, free of obscuration, of ego, of defect, of blemish, of filter. To see the reality in itself. Reflected by conscious and, uh, more importantly, superconsciousness, clairvoyance. Subjective uh, clairvoyance, or imagination, is perceptions that are filtered through the ego. This is very common in most of humanity. We were discussing earlier about the writings of Edgar Allan Poe, who was very clairvoyant. He saw demons in people and was writing about it because he was morbidly fascinated. He was an alcoholic, so alcohol stimulates the negative perceptions of the psyche, as well as uh, certain drugs, psychedelia, uh, LSD, marijuana too, especially. Now, um, those type of perceptions are in the mind, in the ego. They're defects. So subjective clairvoyance is like being an animal seeing in the dark. It's perception, but it's within the mind. And this is something we all can verify through our own experience, and we'll give some examples. But um, subconsciousness, unconsciousness, and infraconsciousness pertain to filtered perception, meaning subjective states, which have no reality. So this is different from akhval in Sufism. Akhval as superior states really come to us as a result of consciousness and more importantly superconsciousness. But we'll explain each in depth. So conscious clairvoyance is, uh, as some island viewer explains, is only developed in those who awaken in the internal planes. He's uh, clear about this in uh, the major mysteries. Now conscious clairvoyance is the capacity to see, to see the mind as it is in our beginning state. When we are becoming more, when we are becoming athletes in meditation and self-observation, we get we see egos, and our perception becomes more clarified as a result of strengthening that skill. When we see egos take on shapes, qualities, we sense the mind as it is, and see uh, begin to see the mind in a beginning state as it is. And even deeper, if you go on the astral plane, you see your egos as very uh, crazy creatures that are 
impossible to describe unless you look at a painting by Hieronymus Bosch. Specifically, uh, he was a great Gnostic master who, with super consciousness, was illustrating the mind. You see a landscape with all these animal figures and uh, the temptation of St. Anthony specifically where he's praying this master, St. Anthony, towards Christ in the temple and then there's all these defects surrounding him. I suggest you look at that image because uh, that happens to anyone who begins this path to develop conscious clairvoyance, to begin to see the mind for what it is. This is the state of dianoia in uh, Greek. Dianoia means revision of beliefs, cultural intellectual synthesis, Awakened consciousness, spiritual culture, insight. When we begin to separate from the mind itself, we're developing conscious clairvoyance. We're seeing the mind for what it is in degrees. There's levels of light that we need to develop. Now, uh, in order to develop conscious clairvoyance, as Sawai Alan explains, we need logical thought and exact concept. And specifically, this means that when we are studying our mind in meditation, but also more importantly, out of the body, we need to be very analytical about what we see. Scientific. Because the images that we perceive in the internal planes are symbolic. And it's important to be able to have a really good knowledge of scripture and a lot of intuition to interpret what we see. Otherwise we make mistakes, judgments about ourselves or other people, which we're going to talk about. But logical thought is when we have an experience in the internal planes, it has to coincide with physical facts. As the Master Samael explains in Endocrinology and Criminology, the superior has to agree with the inferior. So we have a dream or a vision out of the body that tells us about something in relation to our physical experience in life. That's when we know that it's authentic. Because experiences in the internal planes given to us by our being or by the Masters signifies that uh, there's a relationship there. There's no difference. I remember uh, actually, what's unusual, uh, this morning I had an experience that was very strange. I found myself in a garage, or my garage, I was having a garage sale, and there were people who were just taking things and taking my money or paying me with nickels and dimes and not giving me everything I needed. And I was, they were laughing at me and mocking me. I was like, this is very strange. didn't know where this experience was coming from. And I woke up and I thought, this is just probably my mind tricking me. But I reflected and I realized there are certain people, there were certain people at my last job recently who were very manipulative, who were trying to take advantage of me. And I realized, well, this experience really, into, this is my, oh, is my, my being is showing me how people were trying to manipulate me and were abusing me even. And, uh, this is just to verify, you know, the, the physical experience has to coincide with the internal facts. The internal experience has to verify with the physical facts. There can't be a separation. If we experience something internally, but the physical uh, circumstances don't really explain the vision, then we have to discard it as something subjective. But if it tells us something about what's going on in our life, that's very applicable. And, it's very, and then that gives us faith. So this is conscious. This means we're analyzing logically what we see in the internal worlds and also in meditation and also in our daily experiences. It has to, it's integral. There's nothing separate. On the other hand, subconscious clairvoyance relates to memory. This is beneath, sub, beneath our awareness. 
we have a lot of experiences in our mind, in our memories, that are uh, particularly uh, subjective, such as traumas, uh, difficult experiences in life, such as, if, uh, for instance, a woman who was betrayed by her father, or her father uh, committed adultery and left their family, and then later that daughter, having had this experience, gets involved with a, with a man in a relationship, and then projects her visions of that her father onto that man and has a lot of fear and jealousy or uh, difficulties in relating to her future husband, as an example. And this creates all sorts of problems because that man may be very virtuous and honest, but this woman believes her partner to be possibly an adulterer or cheating on her. And so this is subconscious. This is, people like this are not even aware but they're projecting their memories onto the screen of life, and their traumas, their past experiences. We say that uh, subconscious clairvoyance is really relates to three factors: genotype, phenotype, power type. These are technical terms that Samuel explains in Endocrinology and Criminology, and I really recommend you read that book and memorize it. It's very uh, important. So, genotype relates to our genes our karma, our inheritance, such as uh, our language, our culture, the things that we absorb from our environment, things that are really in our blood even, habits, tendencies, illnesses that we may have, uh, things that are genetic. These things reflect a type of psychology that instituted such uh, results in our, in our current existence. So we, the body that we have is born from our previous actions. But also, subconsciousness relates to many um, genotypic factors, such as people, people's attachment to culture, believing that their religion is better than another, than others, their, their language is better than others, only liking certain foods and not rejecting other cultural dishes, things like that. Things that seem simple like that. That's subconscious, because it's beneath one's awareness, and these are things that relate a lot to our inheritance in life. Likewise, we have uh, phenotype, which is uh, our education, what we, receive, what we learn in school. And oftentimes this shapes our, the ways we see the world. High school, middle school, preschool, these experiences shape our personality and how we are going to go through life, the kind of attitudes that we have. These are, again, subconscious because these are absorbed from, from others. And then lastly, we have power type meaning circumstances. So even though we have our genes and, our, and our, um, our education, certain circumstances in our life can really shape who we are and really strengthen subconscious perceptions in ourselves very much, such as traumas, as I mentioned. And uh, this is very well known in psychology where individuals such, who are uh, abused sexually may not even remember that what happened, but later when they talk with a psychiatrist and they go through memory recall, then they remember the experiences because they had blocked it out of their awareness. That's subconscious clairvoyance. And the fact that it's resurging is uh, becoming aware of that state. Now, uh, unconsciousness is a little different. It's more profound, more submerged within, uh, you could say, animality, egotistical desires in the mind. Some island Vayor explains that 100% of homicides are a result of unconscious clairvoyance. To, really, to be in a state in which one lacks sympathy for another human being is very unconscious. To lack uh, that connection with others and compassion with others 
is to be in a very profound state, even beneath the subconsciousness. Also, many times we watch television or even being at a grocery store, there's magazine trays or counters with all sorts of uh, paraphernalia, such as showing very lustful images of men and women, celebrities. And those images, if we're not careful about what we see and how we transform the images as they enter our mind, many times continue to exist as entities, egos that we create as a result of our unconsciousness. So Samael explains that unconscious clairvoyance is a result of uh, lustful dreams. So uh, if one's in the astral plane and one is fornicating with an entity, a man or a woman, then uh, that's really unconscious clairvoyance. And that's the cause of uh, nocturnal pollutions, seminal emissions. And uh, as we're going to explain, that's, re that's remedied through uh, really being aware of what we eat psychologically, what impressions we take in. It comes to my mind an experience of one missionary had who uh, was walking in a uh, grocery store as I, as I was alluding to, where he saw an image of a, a woman in a magazine that was very provocative. He immediately turned away. That night, he was fighting with this lustful succubi, this demon he created in his mind that he saw in just one instant, not even a fraction of a second. So we're constantly receiving impressions from the world, but transforming them unconsciously. And they become desires in, our, in the mind, in the mental plane, which the, as devotees, the devotees fornicate with. So uh, murder and fornication really are you know, two aspects of that. Infraconsciousness is the most submerged level of uh, our uh, of the psyche. It uh, really pertains to experiences like, uh, such as nightmares, uh, experiences of horror, like uh, visions that Edgar Allan Poe had, describing murder and demons and all sorts of vile things, pertain to his infraconsciousness that was very awakened. So it's, this, is, this is not to say that the nightmares and, and entities and demons and experiences one has in dreams is not real. In fact, they have a reality in our mind and, and in that state one is aware of what's going on in the very lower depths of the psyche. Also, uh, infraconsciousness relates to, has two polarities, prostitution and thievery. So in the infraconsciousness is really... Uh, the, most, the two most infraconscious type of individuals are those who uh, are prostitutes and also those who steal. Because stealing really uh, creates a lot of disorder in communities. They think that no harm will come by stealing from someone who's rich, but that has consequences, not only in the, in the community, but also in the mind. And so, uh, but there's two polarities there, thievery and prostitution in which uh, the mind, uh, uh, the infraconsciousness, relates to uh, very uh, sadistic sexual states, such as homosexuality, lesbianism, extreme forms of sexual perversion pertain to those types of perceptions, or nightmares. So we want to become conscious of these elements in us. And as we learn to become conscious of these t subjective states, we really march on the path towards superconsciousness, these are those psychopathologies you're talking about. And, and the techniques that you get rid of them, or at least reverse them to something that you're 
to really, to really know uh, this in depth, study uh, endocrinology and criminology by Samael Vior. He talks about how the criminal justice system is a result of uh, the failure of uh, really developing conscious clairvoyant psychiatrists and also teaching delinquents how to remove these subjective forms of perception inside by teaching them the best of yoga, Rosicrucianism, meditation, Gnosticism, really teaching them the best of religion. Now, uh, the thing is, uh, again, uh, Samael explains that the penal justice system goes hand in hand with clairvoyance. Because, as uh, the Sufis said, it is a light of truth that emanates from the, that flows from the tongue of, uh, is a word of justice that flows from the tongue of the servant. So, by developing clairvoyance, we become just people. And that way we can help individuals who are, you know, killed or murdered or stole because they felt they had to as a, as a form of, as a result of their subjective impetus that they're not even aware of. Now, uh, Yes. So we're talking about uh, these lower three. Are subjective. Yes. Filtered, conditioned by ego. These are formed perceptions in the mind, in the ego. Conscious clairvoyance and superconscious uh, super clairvoyance pertain to states without ego, which are more purified. Now, in relation to superconsciousness, we find that uh, this pertains to the level of prophets who have no ego. Turiya. Buddhas or prophets like Muhammad, who could see both the superior and the inferior worlds at the same time. The best way to explain superconsciousness for me is to talk about a teaching an Advaita or Vedanta in Hinduism. The doctrine of oneness is a teaching given by Shivananda called Satchit Ananda, or uh, truth, knowledge, and bliss absolute. Sat is truth. So when we do the Rune Man, invoking uh, the Lord Christ, doing Om Tat Sat, we're invoking the truth, the absolute, which in Arabic is Allah. May he be exalted. Which we perform by doing runes, circulating those forces to return back to him. Now, Tat, which is the Hebrew word uh, Tav, which is the middle letter you find in the word Keter, which is the truth. So we say that the Father, the Lord, who is in secret, is the truth. Allah is the truth. Or Haq in Arabic is one of the beautiful names of Allah. And uh, Sat also means truth in uh, Sanskrit, in Hinduism. You mentioned Tav, but that would mean in the material plane, that's the last Tav called the world. It has to do with the earth or the world. Tav is the, is the last letter of Hebrew. It's the seal, the covenant, the truth. The perfection which we seek as a man, as after we've passed beyond the man of striving, we become a man of contemplation, which is perfection in those degrees, pertaining to the three mountains, as we'll explain at another time. But superconsciousness pertains to Sat Chit Ananda, which again is uh, truth, knowledge, and bliss, or you can say the the one that is known, the one who knows, and the act of knowledge. Or another way of putting it is, uh, in some island of yours terms, you have chesed geburah tibareth, sat chit ananda. Sat is the innermost, the truth, the being. Hu, the spirit, or ruh in Arabic. 
Chit is the one who cognizes or knows, is the divine soul, the uh, Geburah. And then bliss, when the human soul, Tifereth, is united with, that trin- with the, the, the monad, the spirit and the divine soul, then you have happiness. That's a one form of Sat-Chit-Ananda at a certain level. You also find uh, Sat-Chit-Ananda in uh, the higher uh, trinity, Keter Hokma Bina. Keter is also Sat, the truth. Cheat, the one who no- develops knowledge, the one who sees or perceives, is Hokma, Christ. Because wisdom means the power to perceive, the one who gains knowledge. And then we find uh, bliss absolute is the Holy Ghost, Bina. Because when man and woman are sexually united, they're working with the Holy Ghost, and that's bliss. That's the way that we attain the superconsciousness, as Samael explains, is through alchemy and meditation. It's actually masculine and feminine. Because there's a. The Kundalini is a. We say a feminine force, but also relates to Chokmah, the son of man, within the initiate. But also, we, we really, the Holy Ghost is a, is a Shiva Shakti. In, sense, in, uh, in Hinduism because Shiva is the, the, the masculine aspect of the Holy Ghost Shakti is the feminine aspect and so is dual as represented in Hebrew as Jehovah Elohim Yod Chava man, woman God and Goddess Right. Because when I think of imagination, I think of like picture that you're walking across a bridge, and I've always been really confused with imagination and intuition being used together. But really, that would be like visualization, not imagination, right? Right. People think imagination is fantasy. Yeah. But yeah, and in Gnostic terms, fantasy is subconsciousness, unconsciousness, infraconsciousness. But the objective form of perception to really know something is conscious clairvoyance. Even more, superconsciousness. So superconsciousness is a state of consciousness in which the soul is absorbed by the being, in which the one who knows is the being through you, when there is no you. What about like laying in bed at night and picturing the Egyptian pyramids while mentalizing? Like is that you know what I mean? Like can you? I don't know. So willingly, so so consciousness, conscious clairvoyance is when you willingly imagine a. Uh, such as the pyramids or an object of concentration, you're visual, also visualizing something concretely. Conscious clairvoyance is something you distinguish through practice. Mm-hmm. And um, you may find that you have certain degrees of clarity and insight, but really any dream in the internal planes is conscious clairvoyance. When you're, when you're awake and you realize you're in the astral plane, that's being conscious. That's the genuine type of conscious clairvoyance we need. And uh, that develops in us the more we eliminate ego through meditation on the next plane or what you said it's on another plane and that's uh, and that's really the only place and that's really the only place where we, we really can verify that we're really developing consciousness because uh, it demonstrates that physically we're working and then internally we're seeing it on another level we're unveiling the it mind can still be like a little subjective even when you're aware and it's it can be because uh, conscious clairvoyance is not perfected yet because the conscious clairvoyance there's many degrees 
sometimes we find we may have an experience where uh, the mind takes over and that sub- subconscious clairvoyance then absorbs our attention and we get lost in dreams. So conscious clairvoyance is between really the heights of heaven and is really on the threshold above hell. And depending on what we do with our perception and our being mindful of our being, we can either ascend higher or many times we identify with the mind and then we start projecting dreams. So dreams pertain to the subconsciousness, the unconsciousness, and the infraconsciousness. And when you find that, you may be awake in the astral plane, but suddenly you start thinking about other things or, and start seeing other things and we begin to project Subjective clairvoyance has to do with projections of the ego. Yes. Whereas conscious clairvoyance is when you receive impressions objectively. There's no interference. So you're being you're being given the the conscious and superconscious. Superconsciousness, yes. Conscious clairvoyance we have to also learn to develop on our own. So this is the path of striving to perfect our conscious clairvoyance as well. But also to develop that perfect witnessing, we could say we need to uh, really rely on the being. Now, akhval, superior states, as I've been mentioning to you, really pertains to superconsciousness in which there's no ego present. The soul is united with the being and there's only God. So the one who knows is God. The one who is knowing himself is the Lord and the one who is that act of cognizance at the same time is the being. And also we are part of that. We are witnessing, really, uh, the Lord at, through the Lord. So the Sufis say, I know my Lord through my Lord. And uh, it's really the being, only the being can know himself. This is a very uh, distinct theological teaching given by al-Shaykh al-Akbar, the greatest of Sufi masters. He says his name is uh, Ibn Arabi. He taught in his book, uh, uh, Book of the One Alone, Kitab al-Hadiyah, the Book of Unity, that the only one who can know himself is the Lord. So this is an important distinction because no ego can enter there. But however, the soul united is one with the Lord. And the being is reflected like a mirror of the soul, perfectly reflecting his image, so he contemplates his beauty. Now, it comes to my mind... uh, uh, Really, the highest form of Sat Chitananda. So, we talk about Chesed, Geburat, Tifereth, one trinity of the being, of truth, knowledge, and bliss. Also, Keter Chokmah Bina, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. But also, there's Sat Chitananda in the, the Ain Sof, within the origin of the being, really the origin of who we are. Ain Sof is that supra atomic star mentioned by Samael and Vior. That is a primordial atom from the absolute, which is a pure light that always has been and is inside of us. Sat is that Ain Sof, the truth. Cheat is when Ain Sof has acquired cognizance of himself, and bliss is him contemplating himself through the soul. He needs the soul to be united with him because the soul is one with the being. But the problem is that we have ego. But we can temporarily experience super consciousness in the Ain Sof if the Lord really wants that for the soul, if really we deserve it. And uh, you can have that samadhi where if you meditate on the chakra, Sahasrara, the crown chakra, you can project yourself in your church of Laodicea 
the, the crown of omniscience, which is the halo of the saints, and unite with that if that is what he wills. And so uh, then he knows himself, because only the Lord can know himself. So when you're united with the being, who's left? It's a philosophical question many people have discussed for a long time, but really the one who understands himself is God through his soul. This is known as Nirvi Kalpa Samadhi, the high Samadhi. So that's a form of Sat Chitananda. Or in, in Sufism, we call it a Madkur, Dakir, and Dikir. The invoked, the invoker, and the invocation. Because Dakir, remembrance of God, can mean an invocation to really remember that presence. And so uh, through a mantra or through meditation specifically. So we included an image of a minaret because this is what's used in mosques throughout the world to announce call to prayer known as arhan. So they pray five times a day and really we need to pray every moment. But the meaning of uh, the Muslims praying five times, you know, it, really the tower it is to maintain continual remembrance of the being as the esoteric explanation of the custom but a minaret is a tower, meaning our brain, our pineal gland, and our pituitary gland, which relates to clairvoyance and omniscience, specifically. Chakra ajna relates to the pituitary gland, the third eye, and uh, chakra ajna, and that's represented by the minaret. And the Muslims, they cry, or they sing in Arabic, Allahu Akbar, they pray to, uh, they mantralize as a representation of remembering divinity through the, through the mantra, specifically. So we're going to explain a couple quotes from uh, Al-Qur'an which teaches something about the nature of insight. God Most High has said and, that, and, that are, and these are signs for those who read the signs. Surah 15 verse 75. And this is an exegesis from uh, Al-Kushari, his uh, principles of Sufism. By those who read the signs mean for those who see the inward state of things or uh, those who have insight. So, I'm going to elaborate a quote for you, a couple quotes from the Quran, which are very misunderstood in these times, but are understood precisely through this doctrine of insight and the explanation of the meaning of uh, Muslim scriptures. So, this is from Al Imran, Surah 3, verse 7. It is He who has sent to you down the book. Parts of it are of divinative verses, which are the mother of the book, the Quran. While others are metaphorical. As for those in whose hearts seek deviance, they pursue what is metaphorical in it, courting temptation and courting its interpretation. But no one knows its interpretation except Allah and those firmly grounded in knowledge, ilm or marifah, gnosis, real witnessing of divinity. They say, we believe in it, all of it is from our Lord. And none, take ad- none takes admonition, no one will really know its meanings except those who possess understanding. Now the thing is, uh, those who seek what is metaphorical in the Quran and don't really know Kabbalah and alchemy, these are the people of subconsciousness, unconsciousness, infraconsciousness. These are people who don't know how to see the signs in meditation. Signs are experiences one has out of the body or in contemplation, mushahida, meditation. So further, it states in Al-Baqarah, the second surah in verse 118. 
Those who have no knowledge say, Why does not Allah speak to us or come to us a sign? So said those who were before them, words similar to what they say. Alike are their hearts. We have certainly made signs clear for a people who have certainty. Yukinun or Yakin. Now the thing is, uh, the Quran talks many times about the abundant signs of Allah. May he be exalted. In which he talks about uh, the date palm, the trees, the rivers, the waters, the mountains. And Muslims literally interpret this to really, oh, there is God because we have these physical things, which is true to a degree. But these signs have symbolic meanings. For example, the date palm, the fruit of the date tree, is, a, is, a, is the Muslim equivalent of the fig tree, the sexual power. And rivers of milk and honey in paradise refer to the transmutation of the waters, al-Niksle in Arabic. Now, uh, those who have no knowledge, who really don't meditate, they say, why does Allah come to us with signs? But signs come to us those who have certainty. And the Sufis talk about three forms of certainty in relation to insight. You have ilm al-yakin, meaning the knowledge of certainty. Yakin means certainty. Or the science of certainty is sometimes referred to as ilm. You have the seeing of certainty, ayin al-yakin. Because ayin in Arabic, as well as in Hebrew, means perception. Eyes, sight. Then you have Haq al-Yakin, the truth of certainty. Now the distinction between these three is that in the knowledge of certainty, one has certainty of the teachings after hearing it. So uh, there's a Sufi master who gave an explanation about this uh, term. Where he, his name is uh, Abu Bakir Siraj Adin for the Book of Certainty. He describes Ilm al-Yakin as as if hearing about a description of fire, receiving knowledge, hearing about it, and then judging by the lecture or a book what is true and what is effective, and having certainty about the teaching based on having heard it. But ayin al-yakin is really conscious clairvoyance, meaning to see the truth, to really experience what this, what this lecture or what the, the books and Master Samayal are talking about. And then haq al-yakin is like being burned by fire, Meaning, you're really, you, you are, you, the truth of certainty is when you, the soul is united in the being, is a, the soul is obliterated and there's only consciousness in, the, in God. That is to be burning with certainty. Because that flame, as we show that image of the Buddha and fire, is Gibrael. Gibrael, the Holy Ghost, uh, or we could say Ein Sof, that star from which we originated. So for me, when I'm lecturing, I'm giving you Ilm al Yakin. So you have to meditate to really perceive and hopefully go at the heart of what we're trying to convey. But I'm also explaining, you know, Haq al-Yakin because I had the experience, my soul, in which no ego, my soul was united with the Lord because he wanted it, not because I deserved it, but because he needed to show me. So giving witness as a Muslim, I really am Muslim because I submit to Allah and I have bared witness of my Lord having united with that truth and that Lord was in me but there was no me there was only him that is haq al-yakin the truth of certainty so I'm talking about the fire that I've experienced but now you need to really meditate to really bear certainty of your clairvoyance and al-nuri who we're going to quote more of the Sufi master he said uh, certainty is contemplation mushahidah so real certainty is when you, are you, you, the soul, are absent from the ego and unite back with your being. That's really genuine certainty about truth, 
साथ चीतनंदा अबू अब्दुल रहमान अल सलामी रिपोर्टेड फ्रॉम अबू सईद अल कुदरी दैट द मैसेंजर ऑफ गॉड प्रोफेट मोहम्मद पीस एंड ब्लेसिंग्स बी अपॉन हिम सेड फियर द स्पिरिचुअल इनसाइड ऑफ द बिलीवर फॉर ही सीज बाय द लाइट ऑफ गॉड सो दैट्स अ सुपर कॉन्शियसनेस दैट्स अ टुरिया वन रियली हैज नो ईगो कैन uh is a real believer he say because uh real faith is born by what we see directly not believe belief has been misconstrued the re- belief in the quran to believe is to be through the power of love through alchemy and the symbol of islam is the moon as we see uh you might see in this image it's a little hard to see the crescent moon with the star of venus the moon of yasad of alchemy guided by the star of love the divine mother that's angel jibril represented angel of the moon firasa the precise insight of people comes suddenly upon the heart and negates whatever might contradict it this is because insight is a real insight conscious clairvoyance and even superconscious clairvoyance is very direct it cannot be contradicted you know it directly there's no doubt you have an experience you know it comes from divinity and uh the mind is not divided by the battle of the opposites trying to negate or debate is this generally for my lord or not you know it directly so the mind will try to may try to contradict but there's especially when the experience coincide with physical facts it's irrefutable can't deny it so spiritual insight has a kind of jurisdiction over the heart so the term is derived from prey farisa of a lion so who is this lion is our inner christ or the light of allah the light of unity light, the light of juda of uh jehovah and christ hokma wisdom is the capacity to perceive wisdom wisdom the kingdom of perception so the ego cannot oppose the spiritual insight of that which is usually regarded as correct and possible so as samuel mayor states we must know ourselves without the depressing process of options insight you know something directly it coincides with facts physically irrefutable can't deny it even if the mind may try comes to my mind uh certain experiences i had and i'll give an example but things that i had experienced internally before i physically learned about it and then finding the physical facts so i'm going to give some examples about that but uh it exists so spiritual insight exists to the same degree as one strength of faith whoever has stronger faith has sharper insight so we have to examine what is our level of being what is our level of faith what have we verified and what do we need to verify so that we can work really diligently and strengthen our soul so that we're not tempted by the devil in our mind but uh really resist ego so uh the next next section I'm going to explain coincide to what some island we are wrote about in in endocrinology and criminology specifically about the need to develop spiritual intellectual culture when developing clairvoyance because the worst form of people are those who have developed clairvoyance without becoming good citizens so as we mentioned the justice of truth the justice and truth of a servant must flow from his tongue in a manner of speaking and uh really uh the development of genuine insight has to coincide with ethical discipline really uh 
being good citizens, not gossiping, not talking about other people. Because precisely what has uh, been destroying and affecting the Gnostic movement are people who have been developing clairvoyance. And these people who have visions then judge other people. They have visions about other people and they make criticism about them. Saying so-and-so is a black magician. So-and-so is a witch. So-and-so is fallen. And you can read about this in The Perfect Matrimony extensively. And the problem with these types of people is that they lack decency. They, have, they may have experiences about the ego of another person, but that's no reason to judge somebody. Because uh, real insight, you know, if to have experiences about another person, really we should be silent. Perhaps we are seeing the ego of that person as a sorcerer in a past life. It doesn't mean they're practicing witchcraft now. But you have many people who call themselves Gnostics who are condemning other people because they don't really follow what we call the Sunnah. So the Sunnah in Islam is the, is the life example of Prophet Muhammad being a good person, being kind and merciful and not judging others. And the problem is that, uh, the problem is that people have experiences, in, they may have insight, but they make judgments. They may not see the whole picture. They don't understand what they see. So they may have conscious clairvoyance, but without a strong intellectual culture, understanding the teaching and the fact that really our perceptions may be limited. We won't fall into mistakes if we do. I just pointed the teachings. I said, this is what the teachings say about being chaste, being holy. And for instance, there was a Sufi, Sufi example of uh, someone confronted a Sufi master and said, so-and-so can fly in the air, has power. And the Sufi master says, so what? Even birds can fly. But does he follow the Quran? And the answer was no. Shun him. And if you want to correct people, correct by teaching the truth, not by pointing out people. If someone's causing harm, you know, explain the teaching. This is what's right. And let that person be the judge of whether or not that instructor or that missionary is really doing a good job. Because to confront people and say, this person's a black magician, even if he is, is wrong. We shouldn't necessarily confront people. But speak the truth. Talk about what you need to do to practice. And don't, uh, if you suspect somebody is doing evil, tell the students and explain to them what, what the path is. And let them judge. If they choose it, good. If they don't, that's their choice. You have to let people decide. And the problem with people is they have insight in, about other people and make judgments. And it comes to my mind, uh, Ibn Arabi, Sufi master, greatest of Sufi masters, said, even if you have a genuine spiritual insight about another person, you should not... Uh, Talk about it to other people, because that's satanic. To gossip is really a problem. And personally, I've been a victim of many gossip. So-and-so is a black magician. Well, the thing is, uh, that's in the past. Not anymore. And we all have that past, most of us. So we can't judge anybody. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. So this is... Uh, 
this explains that in order to develop insight, real clairvoyance, we have to follow the penal code. We have to be good persons. And in the Muslim way, we talk about the Sunnah, which is the oral tradition of Islam, talking about the life of Prophet Muhammad and the life he lived, the example that he showed, which is really pure. I heard Abu Abd al-Rahman al-Sulami say to, that his grandfather, Abu Amir ibn Mujahid, said that Shal al-Karmani had a keen spiritual insight. He did not err. He would say, whoever casts down his eyes before forbidden things, restrains his egos from lusts, attraction to pleasure, fills his inner being with continuous attentiveness, and his outer being with adherence to the Sunnah, scriptures about the life of Prophet Muhammad, and accustoms himself to eating what is lawful, will make no mistakes with his insight. So again, uh, we already explained being good citizens, not commenting or gossiping about the life of others. If we have that experience about certain people, I've had internal experiences about individuals, but I don't go out of my, you know, never went out of my way to confront them on the issue. Let them do their thing. But if you have insight, keep it to yourself. So adhere to the sunnah. Be a moral person. And also, one must accustom himself to eating what is lawful. This means to eat good impressions. So watching a lot of television, playing video games, distractions or like I mentioned, if you're seeing lustful images on television or in magazines, even if at a glance, that's eating what is unlawful. We eat impressions. The mind eats what it sees. So we have to transform what we receive in our mind. So that's, you can read more about that in the mental stomach and uh, Revolution of the Dialectic. So some island Vera explains in Igneous Rose that serenity is the most powerful key to the development of clairvoyance. We are not serene if we gossip. And... Uh, or if we talk about our experiences about other people and that causes conflict or division. It's a serious crime and it's happened in many spiritual groups where individuals have experiences and talk about it to the point of uh, creating conflict. So serenity develops clairvoyance. And uh, we also have to be aware of transforming our mind. Anger destroys clairvoyance. A moment of rage poisons, the, poisons our perception. In that sense, we're eating what is unlawful. Eating anger. We eat anger. There's a line from one of Shakespeare's plays where this woman says, Anger is my meat and I will starve with feeding. Talking about the mentality of someone who is filled with wrath. This is from Coriolanus. Because uh, Samael explains that anger creates a poison called imperil, which des destroys the lotus flower of the chakra ajna. So anger is a blind... It, you see through anger, but that's subconscious, infraconscious, unconscious. Anger only sees what it wants to hurt and gets pleasure from that. That's a form of seeing, but in hell. And that destroys the objective perception. So Muhammad taught, the strongest among you is one who controls his anger. We have the image of uh, the Sistine Chapel, creation of Adam, Jehovah on the right, or Allah, the being. We're going to explain what, you need to do, what we need to do to develop insight. So uh, we have a quote, Sufi quote from Abu Hassan al-Nuri. 
He was asked, what is the origin of spiritual insight in the one who has it? He answered, it comes from the saying of the Most High. And I breathed into him, Adam, of my spirit. Surah 15, verse 29. This is very telling because even in the Sufi names and scriptures, they have symbolic meaning. Hassan means beauty. Nuri means light. So Al-Hassan Al-Nuri is the beauty of the light. Interesting that this master had that name. Hassan is precisely Tifereth, beauty, the human soul. And the light is Allah. As we see in this image, Jehovah on the right, Adam on the left, beauty and light. And this image depicts how one develops insight. Notice how uh, Adam, the man of striving, the Bodhisattva, receives from the being. He does not extend his hand out, reach out. He receives. That's the mental, the ninth state of calm abiding, emphasized here. To, to be in a state of active reception. No effort needed. And instead the being gives, as we see actively in this image of Jehovah, reaching towards the, being, the human soul. So the man of striving on the left, Adam, the man of contemplation, Mushahidah, the being on the right. So uh, what's interesting about the name Nur is the Arabic word for light. Aur in Hebrew is the same thing. We find uh, Muhammad received Al-Quran on Jabal Nur, the mountain of light. So by raising the fire of uh, sexual magic to the mind, the mountain of initiation, he developed light and received Al-Quran from Gibriel, Jibril, angel of the cross. That Quran is our inner teaching, the law inside of us, the, the being, you could say. This is really the, the same, uh, same symbol as represented by Jesus receiving the Holy Ghost and being baptized in the River Jordan. Same meaning, but in the Muslim way. There's also a surah in the Quran called Al-Nur, meaning the light, describing how the light shines from an alabaster vase or a clear vase. Representing the innermost sat and the divine and the glass, the divine soul. So there's kabbalistic meaning here. But notice how to develop insight, one must receive from the being. Akhval, the states of the divine, are given to us by divinity. And it's really when we are really uh, working in ourselves, we find that uh, it is the being who seeks us. Bayazid al Bistami, as a Sufi master, stated, "For thirty years I sought Allah." until I realized that it was Allah that was the seeker and I was the sought. So, we need to strive to a degree to concentrate. But the insight comes from the Lord. He's the one who seeks us. I remember once being in the astral plane and I invoked my Divine Mother. She came in the form of a bear. And a, and a bear is a symbol of the ego, of occult enemies we need to fight. And she showed me a radar one of those screens where you should see a radius turning and green light followed by blips for if you found someone present. And she says, where are you? I don't see you here. Because she was telling me, you keep forgetting me. I'm looking for you. Pointing on the radar and I, I realize I have been remembering what I, as I need to. And so, uh, the Divine Mother seeks us. The being is seeking us. We have to be receptive to that, to receive the light. Now what's interesting is that uh, 
there's other deeper meanings to the development of insight here. We find uh, the Arabic word Adam from the Hebrew Adam. In Arabic, Adam means not being. Non-being. So we talk about the being and then we talk about not being. The absolute. Which for our common perception, if we have that experience of the illuminating void, really it's a form, it, we, to the perception is emptiness, not being, but really is the genuine being. So it says here, I breathe into Adam, the not being of my, with my spirit or of my spirit. So uh, it's important to explain what this not being is. So in the Kashif al-Mashub, Revelation of the Mystery, it states, Now the expressions of not being and annihilation, fana, as they are used by Sufis, denote the disappearance of a blameworthy instrument and disapproved attribute in the course of seeking a praiseworthy attribute. So as I was explaining, real samadhi in the being, in the absolute, the not being, the primordial space in our star, means you have to be annihilated. No ego. In order for that subsistence, baka in Arabic, to be developed in us, to be in the being. That is baka. So also, the fact that the Lord breathes in a cosmological scale within the, not, the space. As the book of Genesis teaches, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, the deep, and breathed His Spirit into that emptiness. So on a cosmological scale, we have the creation of any cosmos, the tree of life of any world. But also inside of us, how we develop insight is precisely when we cease to be egotistical. We are empty. We annihilate ourselves in the being. We are empty. Samuel explains in the, the Aquarian message that uh, God searches the nothingness in order to fill it. So by working with the breath, the prana, transmutation, we develop light inside. So that's how God breathes within the emptiness of the Divine Mother's space to create any world, but also inside of us, our own darkness, to create light. That is where we develop beauty, Hassan al-Nuri, the man of striving, uniting with the man of contemplation. Then the, 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 the intermediary would be Tiferet, soul forces there, right? And the prana comes from there. So it ties in that way too, right? So prana actually comes from the absolute, but is fully expressed within the bodhisattva, the human soul, the man of striving, when he works. And uh, basically... Uh, We find that, uh, again, that primordial light is within our semen, those waters of Genesis, which can create light within us. So we have to work on transmuting, always, every day. So there's a, more quotations here in relation to Al-Risala, uh, discussing the nature of developing this soul and insight. If someone's share of this light is more perfect, his vision is wiser and his judgment based on his insight is more truer. Do you not see how the breathing of the Spirit into Adam made it necessary for the angels to prostrate before him? For the Most High said, I formed him and I breathed him into him of my spirit. So fall down before him in prostration. So when we're developing ourselves, insight, we are greeted in the internal plane by many masters. Where they help us. They respect us. They, uh, in a manner of speaking, prostrate before us. Because we are becoming a new God, a new Buddha, a new master. So they 
by developing that light and forming that spirit inside through transmutation, the angels help us in the internal planes. So this statement, again, this is Al-Risala, Principles of Sufism. This statement of Abul Hassan al-Nari is somewhat difficult, so be careful with it. In this mentioning of the breathing of the spirit, he was aiming to correct those who say that souls are uncreated. So Jesus said, with patience possessing your souls. So really, we develop the soul through insight. When we are comprehending ourselves in every day, every moment, we're developing life inside of us. We're creating the soul. But if we're asleep, we're not creating. We're unconscious, walking in negligence. The quote continues, The situation is not as it might occur to the hearts of the weak, meaning those who don't meditate. That to which this breathing and union and separation are properly attributed is liable to influence and alteration, which are signs of the transience or transitoriness of created things. Yet God, glorious and exalted, has chosen the believers the meditators who transmute, for perceptions and lights through which they come to possess insight. So experiences, in the flashes of insight in the mind when we are meditating. That's how we really believe in the truth of these things. In essence, these are forms of the knowledge of God. This is the import of the prophet saying, the believer sees by the light of God. That is by a knowledge and an inner vision for which God most high has especially chosen him and by means of which he has distinguished him from others like him. To call these kinds of knowledge and perceptions lights is not an innovation, and to describe that process as breathing is not reaching far afield. What is intended is one's created nature. So really we create the soul through developing comprehension. And this relates to the tree of life, as we explained. Wherever the delusion of yourself it appears, there's hell. Wherever you aren't, that's heaven. So the so uh, we need to uh, remove ourselves and let our being express and guide us to give us insight. And uh, really the tree of life is a symbol we can meditate on to really comprehend and develop our concentration, but also to visualize so that we can experience in the eternal planes what the tree of life signifies. Now... Uh, all the references to subconsciousness, unconsciousness, infraconsciousness pertains to us. The being is superconsciousness. And the road, as represented in the allegory of the cave, is the path of conscious clairvoyance. Because da'at is uh, precisely the work of transmutation. That's going to develop insight. And it makes it stands out on the tree because of the color. And uh, we, we use that color to represent how da'at is that secret sphere what was not taught for millennia. And is that knowledge of uh, developing the beauty of light. Hassan al-Nuri. Insight. Also, the throat chakra, right? Yes. Mantras, okay. We just did, uh, perform the kir, invocation, mantra, remembrance. So, as I mentioned to you, we need to really, we know we're developing insight when we're doing it moment by moment. If we are not clear about what we are seeing in our psyche, it means we're not working with our clairvoyance, but being negligent. 
And uh, every moment we need to have that vigilance to strive so that through our striving, when we have a serenity of mind, we see things in our psyche that are new. Moment to moment, you said, right? Yes. Because you remember, your, your hudur, your presence, your being is always in you, with you. So whatever you're doing, even though we don't see Allah, know that Allah sees you. We have to remember that fact repeatedly so that our daily activities are a reflection of our spiritual life inside. So uh, again, to emphasize the, ne- the fact that we are only alive when we are awake, when we're observing, when we remember so concerning the saying of God Most High, or one who was dead, we have brought him to life. Surah 6, verse 112. Is a, a Sufi explained. Someone who was dead of mind, but God Most High brought him to life with the light of insight and set for him the light of divine manifestation and direct vision. He will not be like someone who walks unconscious with the people of unconsciousness. Really, I mean, we go through our day, we don't, sense our being that we're dead it's terrible to say but as a Samuel and Vior explains in Revolution of the Dialectic the one who is not transforming impressions being awake moment by moment is devolving degenerating so when we're unconscious we are not alive but if we are if we were paying attention that's when we have light when we see something in a way that is really new about our daily job or experience or working with a person, our mind, when it's that flash of understanding, we see something in a completely brilliant, clear, cognitive way. We're alive in those instances. Some people experience this rarely in their life, maybe as a result of an accident. A car accident that produced such a moment of shock that that person was awoke in their consciousness and was seeing every detail of the accident before, before it ended. So we need to develop that type of awareness no matter what happens. And it's uh, mind training, lojong in Buddhism, or um, striving in jihad. So again, we're going to elaborate on how to develop insight here. Al-Kushari states, It is uh, said that when the insight becomes sound, its possessor progresses to the level of contemplation. Mushakida, or we could say superconsciousness. So we have here, we're going to talk about imagination, inspiration, intuition, according to uh, Sufism. This is probably one of the most important quotes from this text. Al-Jarari said that whoever does not establish awe of duty and vigilance, muraqaba, or awareness, muhadara, in his relationship to God, will not arrive at disclosure of the unseen or contemplation of the divine. So everything we're talking about here, all of duty, we have to really feel that reverence and awe to practice every day. To feel that reverence for the being in every moment. All of duty, to know that it is our duty to work for our Lord, no matter how difficult it is. That will lead us to uh, disclosure of the unseen, mukashafa, and contemplation, mushahida, of the divine. And we're going to explain each of these stages. So in Sufism, there are the three stages that we talked about previously are known as awareness, 
unveiling or disclosure and contemplation. In Gnosticism, we call it imagination, inspiration, intuition. I'm going to parallel these scriptures for you so that you see the you know, unity of thought. Awareness, mukhadara, is the beginning. That follows disclosure, mukashafa, and then contemplation, mushahida. So, uh, imagination, inspiration, and intuition are the three obligatory paths for the initiation, or makamat, the path of striving, path of the stations or initiations. So we reach these ineffable heights by means of concentration, meditation, and samadhi. Previously we discussed concentration. We're really emphasizing here how to meditate to receive new information. Because to meditate is to receive information. Everything we've done previously about concentration is to prepare for that. And then samadhi is really that state of witnessing. Ecstasy. The word ecstasy in Latin is ex statuo, to stand outside oneself. So as the Sufis say, where you aren't, that's heaven. Outside of your subjective, subconscious, unconscious, infraconsciousness. Entering a witnessing a samadhi, contemplation of the divine. So whoever has reached these ineffable heights of intuition, samadhi, has converted himself into a master of samadhi. So we're going to talk about the Sufi terms, but also what Samayal Amir explains. So imagination is the, we've been discussing the ability to perceive images, to see, have insight of a conscious and superconscious nature. Inspiration is when we uh, see an image and we feel a, a reaction, a response in our heart and our soul about a given symbol we experience in the internal planes. Likewise, uh, intuition is when we directly know the meaning of that symbol, to have real cognizance or contemplation of what it means. So in the beginning of meditation, the disciple perceives fleeting images. Later, the disciple totally perceives all the images of the supersensible worlds. So this first stage is known as imaginative knowledge. So the Sufis refer to it as awareness. So I invite you to really reflect on the parallels here that they give. So uh, awareness comes from muhadara, from the presence, word for presence, hudur. It's the presence of heart which may be produced by the coming together of innumerable small proofs of what is real. Meaning visions, lights, perceptions, imagination. It is still behind the veil, even if the heart is present with the overwhelming power of the practice of remembering God, the care. So we may have, we see, receive images. We start to have flashes of insight. We're meditating, we see people, places, things, sounds, smells even, um, visions. We're not entirely responsive in our heart, but we have these images and flashes that suddenly come to us and we realize we even wake up or return to our body in meditation after having seen those flashes. These are si- proofs, signs that we're developing our clairvoyance. So this is a necessary and very good step. The fact that we see images means that we're stabilizing our mind and we're developing imaginative knowledge. But however, it's still behind the veil because uh, we haven't really developed that real interpersonal connection to that symbol or to the, to the visions that we are seeing. So the next stage, as cited in Igneous Rose, uh, the disciple contemplates many images that are mysteries for him because he doesn't understand them. So this is when we see symbols 
and we have an emotional response. We realize this is a, this is a teaching, perhaps from our being, that is really insightful and meaningful to us. But we feel inspired. We may feel happiness or pain, pleasure, but we don't really know the meaning of what it entails. It's enigmatic to us. And the solution is to meditate further. However, yet as long as he perseveres with his practices of internal meditation, he will then feel that the supersensible images produce certain feelings of happiness or pain. The disciple then feels inspired in the presence of the internal images. He has thus risen to the stage of inspired knowledge. And the Sufis teach the same thing. After this comes disclosure, unveiling mukashafa. So it's the presence which has a quality of proof itself, meaning we know this is evidence from God, from our Lord. In the condition, the heart has no need for pondering indications or searching for the road, nor seeking protection from occasions of uncertainty. The opposite of yakin, the knowledge or the ayin al-yakin, the truth of certainty, and it is not screened from the nature of the unseen. So at this point, we're no longer searching for other, op- for other things. We receive a symbol and then we really reflect on what the symbol means. What is it teaching us? Because uh, we no longer have other options. Oh, we, I received this symbol, now I have to go deeper and understand what my being is teaching me. That's when we are inspired and uh, have reached Ain al-Yakin, the perception of truth, perception of certainty. In this image we have uh, the calligraphy of the word Allah and light, a son of truth, and 12 Sufis referencing the 12 uh, Sephiroth, we could say, the tree of life and the, the absolute Allah. So intuition, intuitional knowledge pertains to when we understand the symbol. We understand what the, the experience is about. So later when he sees an internal image, instantaneously he knows its meaning and uh, its significance. Samuel describes... Uh, the being as the son of truth, S-U-N, the light of truth in Aztec Christic magic. So this is why we chose this image of the Allah, the son of truth, the being, which the Sufis elaborate that uh, intuition is when you know something without any diversion. You know the meaning of the experience immediately. Then comes contemplation, which is the presence of the real without any remaining doubt. Suddenly the sky of one's hidden inner being becomes clear of the clouds of the veil, and the sun of vision, or the being, the sun of truth, rises in the sign of honor. The truth of contemplation is as Junayet said, finding the real comes with losing yourself, meaning no ego. That's even above, that's the next stage after intuition. No, this is intuition. That is, okay. So uh, intuition is, you know, there's de- well, there's degrees of intuition, we could say. Intuitional knowledge. Because intuition is the level of the being, really, the world of Geburah we say. But you can have intuition or experiences in the whole tree of life that pertain to uh, imagination, inspiration, intuition. So it's important to remember that these are not plateaus. You conquer one to go to the next. You can have an experience within a millisecond where you have the vision, you know it's a symbol, and you know what it means immediately. Other times we just perceive images. We don't really feel inspired, but... Other times, we don't see anything at all. So if we're not seeing anything, we need to develop imaginative knowledge. But if you have some capacity for clairvoyance, uh, you can uh, 
work with the heart, listening to classical compositions, compositions to develop inspirational knowledge, and to develop intuition, really to really meditate on the being itself. So the practice with imagining a plant to develop clairvoyance pertains to developing imaginative knowledge. Whereas you want to develop inspiration, develop, uh, meditate on music, such as Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And if you really are meditating profoundly, you can experience what he was teaching in that piece. And that's intuition. Intuition is the world of mathematics, to know the being directly. And there's levels, as represented by the tree of life. Sometimes when we are imagining, we are inspired by a symbol, and then we don't really know the meaning. And other, time, other times we need to meditate further to, to get that meaning, intuition. So as I mentioned, these are not plateaus, but can happen in one moment, can happen over a course of many years. So I want to emphasize for you the importance of relating internal experience with physical facts. as emphasized by uh, the following teachings of the Sufis. It is said that the spiritual insight of students is a thought that demands verification. But the insight of the Gnostics is a verification that demands a reality. So in the beginning we have a hunch, a thought about the meaning of a scripture or a teaching. And then later, you know, as we meditate, we go out of our body and investigate. Then we verify what we had the hunch about or the intuition about in relation to physical evidence. But likewise, but then you have Gnostics, people who really are developing, who have the experience and then look for physical facts to verify what they experienced. Samuel and Vior was like that for many years. He was having samadhis and astral travels and was trying to convey his experience in physical terms to people. And so he had to investigate many scriptures and literature and books to explain and to verify the things that he experienced in order to show people the real depth of the esotericism in religion. Now, uh, I remember, for instance, uh, I've had cases where I remember I had an experience about the Tree of Life before I knew Kabbalah. So I had an experience where I saw the Tree of Life, the Ten Sephiroth, before I knew anything about the, that diagram. And then I asked an instructor, what, you know, I saw this, this image, what does that mean? Oh, that's the, the tree of life. I was instructed. And then I studied the books and then had that verification. So I had that experience before I verified it physically. And another time I remember I was in a fight with a, a black magician who did some form of martial arts on me, twisted my arm when I was trying to fight him and defend myself. And uh, he told me, this, this black magician, I'm, you know, I did Aikido on you, which was the martial arts that I was training with at the time. That day, I, when I woke up, I went to my Aikido instructor and said, I, I, someone I saw did a move on me, did this. And I showed him the move that this magician did on me in the astral plane. And said, oh, that's Nikio. Told me the technique. So I had the experience before I learned the technique. So you can have the internal experience and then verify it physically. And that, that really gives it more faith because you see, I, this is what I experienced before I even read about it or learned about it physically. And so in terms of Master Samael, he, he had many experiences that you read his books, he's using many terms in different languages to explain his teaching. Because he was looking for, he, was, he had an experience that demanded verification. 
And then later quote, this, the rest of this quote talks about uh, how these masters are very observant of us and uh, the need for us to really be aware of them. Because uh, if we don't see God, God sees us. Ahmad ibn Asim al-Antaki said, when you sit with the people of truthfulness, meaning uh, Turiyas or prophets in the internal worlds, sit with them in truthfulness for they are the spies of the hearts. They will enter and leave your heart without you feeling it. And I just personally remember being with uh, certain masters where I remember once being with Master Samuel and he was teaching me something specifically. I won't say what, but I was starting to lose my concentration, my remembrance of him. And uh, my ego was trying to hide something from him. He said, hey, you can't, no, you can't do that. It was showing me that he knew exactly what's going on in my mind. So when you're with the masters of truthfulness, be truthful because they see through everything. And you can't hide from a, from a god of a, the god of the heavens. I heard Muhammad ibn al-Hussein say that Abu Jafar al-Haddad said, spiritual insight appears as a spontaneous intuition that nothing can challenge. So real insight, when you have it, your mind can't argue about it. You simply know it, especially when it verifies with facts, physically. And then there's no argument. The mind may try to doubt, but it's irrefutable. Because those people, those people don't even enter the path of striving, mujahida. Because uh, as the Apostle James said, faith without works is dead. So faith is real, as Samuel explains, is a direct perception of the truth, to know something without conceptualization. But faith without works is dead. Meaning if you don't strive, you don't work, you can't have faith. So you need both. So Apostle James was really Muslim. If you break it down. Now, uh, if uh, contradictions arise when you have that insight, if you, you feel like you have an insight, but there's contradictions in the mind where the mind is still churning, you could say it's a simple thought, an event of the ego. So the mind is uh, churning and chaotic and working through the process of mechanical associations is uh, subjective. But insight is lightning. It strikes the mind. Is you can have a vision, an experience, an insight, an understanding that comes very uh, sporadically, out of nowhere, when we least expect it. And there's no uh, contradictions. But if we're, the mind is churning and you have that quality of a cloudy, disorganized, churning, impassive or indifferent mind, that means that we need more insight. Because that insight is a shock that gives us life. And as Samuel and Vior explains in revolutionary psychology, we uh, receive an, a, a form of shock to our physical cells, even our body, when we have when we self-observe and remember our being. The body receives nourishment; it's a energy from the Lord. Now, uh, one thing I want to emphasize is uh, in relation to the need to coincide physical facts with spiritual experience. I'll quote for you uh, 
again, a teaching from Albert Salah, where he, they talk about the need to combine study of the scriptures with practical experience. They call this in Sufi, Sufi terms or Muslim terms, Sharia and Hakika. Sharia is the law, which people in the Middle East interpret to be the, the law from Muslims in Arabia. Like a physical customs of a, their civilization. But really Sharia is the spiritual ethical discipline we work with and develop in order to develop our psyche. This is the path of striving. To be good persons, not to lie, not to steal, not to fornicate. This is Sharia, the law, the foundation. Hakika is uh, the truth. Hak is truth. So when the Sufi martyr Al-Halaj said, An al-Hak, he said, I, the truth. He was uh, expressing his inner being within him. So there was no halaj there. There was only the Lord. So he really reached hakika, the truth. But of course, the Orthodox Muslims had him executed because they considered it blasphemy. Because uh, hak is one of the names of God. So he was saying, I am God. But wasn't the man of striving saying that. It was the, the being. But we need to follow sharia, the divine law, to develop inner experience. And we need both. So it says here in the scripture... The divine law, Sharia, commands one to the duty of servanthood. The way, the inner reality, Hakika, is the contemplation of the divine lordship, Mushahida, to witness. Outward religious practice not confirmed by inner reality is not acceptable. Inner reality not anchored by outward religious practice is not acceptable. Divine law brings obligation upon the creation, while the way is founded upon the free action or experience of the real. The divine law is that you serve Him. The way is that you see Him. So for us, in the beginning, we, we serve God. We don't see Him yet. But by experiencing, then we see Him. And we need to do both. We have to practice to the point, we strive to the point of witnessing. And then we know, and have that insight. So the divine law is doing what you've been ordered to do by divinity. Hakikah is bearing witness to what He has determined and ordained. Hidden and revealed. I heard Abu Ali al-Dakak say that God's saying in the opening chapter of the Quran, the Fatiha, the saying uh, which in the Quran it says, uh, "To you do we worship, and do you do we you do we worship, and to you do we seek help." you we worship, preserves the outward practice, the divine law. to you we turn for help, establishes the inner reality, the way. So we worship, how do we worship? By striving, by working, by meditating. Jihad. Through performing jihad in ourselves. And then to you we turn for help. Meaning, after we've reached concentration of the ninth degree, we receive the help. To you, do we, we, Then we turn to you, we receive that help from the being. That's akhla, states, insight, lights, perceptions, the inner reality, hakikah, the truth. So know that religious obligation is a spiritual reality and that it was made necessary by His command. And spiritual reality as well is a religious obligation and that the realizations of Him were also made necessary by His command. So it makes me sad that I know people who've been in this teaching for 30 years, 20 years, who have done practices for so long and speaking to them one-on-one, -on -one, they tell me their desperation of how they haven't experienced what they read about. And this is terrible because the truth is if we're really practicing well, then we will have the experience. We need both. 
our practice has to coincide with our, our discipline has to coincide with what we learn internally. Likewise, what we learn internally strengthens our physical daily life, our ethical discipline, our conduct. Now, uh, both are fundamental. And uh, the previous quote, we have uh, Mansur al-Halaj, who I mentioned briefly, said, An al-Haq, I am the truth. He states that the man of spiritual insight hits his target with the first shot. He does not turn to interpretation or opinion or calculation. So this means that really insight or intuition, when we know something directly, there's no uh, doubt in the mind. It's very uh, crisp. We, tell, uh, we distinguish it by the clarity of the experience and the state beyond our normal perception. Lastly, we will conclude with uh, the necessity to develop continuous consciousness or the permanent center of gravity, as Samael and Vior explains in his books. So, uh, beginning we have sparks, then we develop flashes, and as a result of our discipline, we develop more light day by day in our practice daily, until finally, uh, when reaching the goal, there is only the sun of being, continuous, in, continuous insight, understanding of reality here and now. So Kushari states, No one has improved upon the explanation of the achievement of contemplation, Mushahida, given by Amir ibn Uthman al-Maki. The gist of what he has said is that the light of God's manifestation falling upon the heart one after one, another without a break, with no veil or disruption, meaning there's unveiling here, mukashafa, and uh, real contemplation, mushakida. So there's no veil or interruption, disruption intervening among them. These resemble flashes of lightning seemingly linked together continuously. For just as the darkest night through the repetition of persistence of lightning flashes in it would take on the brilliance of day, would continue with divine manifestation, or we can say uh, continuous consciousness here and now and in the internal planes, takes place in the heart when this takes place in the heart the heart is full of daylight and not light so read the perfect matrimony where, he, where the master Samael explains that uh, in the beginning we have we realize we're dreaming then we realize we're awake in the astral plane and then later we're flying and then other times we're in the jinn state so finally through our progressive work we're fully awakened no ignorance So the 16th card of the Tarot, we call uh, fragility, relates to the Hebrew letter Ayin. And uh, the reason why it's Ayin is because when, uh, or in Arabic, Ayin means eyes or vision. The middle letter of the Hebrew word Da'at, and Da'at is dual. It can take one to heaven or take one to hell. And the problem with the, the card of fragility is that uh, the couple fornicates. It's, you know, the other interpretation they have, and in fact they use the letter P, P-E-H, as I understand, on some of the standard 
the real decks. And they say it's like a revelation, all of a sudden you see the truth. It's a lightning bolt hitting the top of the top. Well, that's another interpretation, I guess. And that, that, the thing is, uh, with the tarot especially, those cards were never meant for the public. And uh, what happened was that what few teachings were given about the tarot were stolen and were given to the public in a very uh, adulterated form. So the, the cards that, especially that we use in this tradition, which we're publishing a deck soon. Then it has to be the esoteric, the others are exoteric then. It's uh, really uh, a lot of the cards that are in game tables and fortune teller dices is uh, adulterated. The cards that uh, personally that I've worked with in the internal planes have really that intuitional knowledge come from the, the cards that I've really verified in the literature we have and the diagrams that we use. But the, we say that Ayin really relates to the 16th card because Ayin is the 16th Hebrew letter. Ayin is eyes. And it's to the middle letter of Dat. The work of perception is how one other rises or falls. But in fragility, the couple fornicates and the Tower of Babel is destroyed. They're punished by divinity. So those people who really fornicate abuse their ayin, their eyes, their perception, because we eat through our eyes. But also, those who fornicate um, lose all certainty. Ayin al-yakin, the knowledge of the truth, because they, lose, they take away their energy or capacity to have that experience. That's my understanding. But the, really, the tarot cards were heavily adulterated. And... Uh, when I've received tarot card readings internally, it's always from the literature that I've been, we've been using. And so I have faith in that deck. And it's come, this deck is, is in the works? Yeah, it's being printed. It's being published. Are there questions or comments? Yeah, so develop certainty. First strive, and then really strive to contemplate. I gave you my opinion on that, and what you've done on it's one of the most important things tonight that you brought up. It's moment-to-moment awareness. That's really a, a goal. Moment-to-moment during the day. And we'll conclude with, uh, He who remembers God in his inward states will be exalted by God in all his outward deeds. about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.